This is the Young Professionals Podcast, proudly brought to you by Adapt Careers, where we speak with young professionals to understand what they do in their roles day to day, how they got there and what they've learned along the way. My name is Luke Marriott. And I am Nicholas Sargent, better known as Sarge. And we are your co-hosts. Sarge, what do our listeners need to do? To stay up to date and support what we're doing, please subscribe, like the episode and leave a comment on any of our social channels. We can't wait to hear from you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Young Professionals Podcast. Sarge, who are we speaking with today? Luke, today we're speaking with Ailey Patton. Ailey is a business development manager at Snowflake, a data warehousing management company based in the US. Ailey was born and raised in Texas before moving to Melbourne to complete her high school and university education, where she completed a Bachelor of Arts at the University of Melbourne. With an original career goal of becoming an actress, Ailey knew she had to cast a wide net to gain an idea of the different opportunities available to her after university. Having landed in marketing and then sales, Ailey is a big advocate for saying yes to opportunities when they arise and for taking calculated risks to further your career. Ailey, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. You've made me sound really great um, in that bio. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. And it's easy to make someone sound good when, when they've done a few interesting things. So thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Just to start, what, what, do you, what is Snowflake? Uh, the, uh, the age old question, Snowflake is a cloud data platform. So, um, we operate as software as a service. So SaaS, which you've probably seen, um, around the traps. So, um, I suppose essentially, um, I kind of went into this company and like, I, I really didn't have a background in tech. I didn't really know what, um, what data warehousing was, but if you just break it down and make it simple, um, every company uses data, whether that's retail to um, to see you know who's buying what, marketers to see um, who's looking at their ads, um, healthcare. Right now, it's a big one for COVID, where COVID is, whether the cases are flaring up. Um, so everyone's got a whole bunch of data, and data is growing um, rapidly. And and we've kind of come into an age where everyone needs to use data and, and needs to access that and query it to make business decisions. So essentially, what Snowflake does is allow people to store and use their data seamlessly in the cloud, which has um, not really been done before since the, um, the dawn of data warehousing. It was all on-premise in, um, in buildings. So um, that's really what, what Snowflake does. It's revolutionized data, brought it into modern times, um, and, and that's where I am. And I'm fortunate to have the role as a business development manager um, in the Melbourne office. So I manage a team of business development representatives, um, of which I was one um, not, a long, not, not a long time ago, and I uh, absolutely love it. Super blessed to be here. But, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And, and what, is, what is business development? So um, it's, it's in sales. So it's a fancy word for sales. You're kind of the start of the sales ecosystem. You have sales development representatives or business development representatives that move up into account executives and then account directors and, um, and therefore. So um, essentially we're in charge of driving pipeline. Pipeline generation is, um, is our big goal. And um, that involves a lot of cold calling and outreach and getting rejected um, pretty much uh, the whole day <laughs> um, until you get that one hook. And, um, and then we can progress that through the sales ecosystem within the company. And, and just for students who are listening, what, what is the pipeline? 
Uh, pipeline is, I suppose, the um, you know the the accounts, fresh accounts that um, that our company wants to take on, new customers, um, obviously uh, revenue holding customers. So um, all of the money that um, that our company needs to to generate. And on, on that, I think it, we'll touch on it in a little bit, but sales is obviously a massive part of any different industry. And, and that's what I really want to kind of bring to the floor is that it's a career path that kind of anyone can really get interested in if, they're, if they have a particular skill set or an interest in speaking with people in a certain way. What are some skills that you have really been able to kind of let flourish um, in a sales role that you might not have thought, uh, you know, that you'd be able to apply when you're at uni or, or at school? I think, um, you know, I, I always had a fear of, I couldn't even call a doctor by myself when I was, um, when I was out of, out of uni. Um, and I think just throwing yourself in the deep end and, and calling people, um, as I said, cold calling is a massive thing, um, for anyone in sales, not just business development. So, um, getting comfy with being on the phone and talking to people, um, and, and being interested in, in what their problems are so that you can help. And I think, um, taking that throughout life. I mean, obviously it's, it's great to call the doctor on my own. I don't have to get mom to do that for me anymore, but, um, I think, you know, taking those skills, um, those can kind of take you anywhere you want to go. If you're in an uncomfortable position, um, when you're traveling by yourself or you, you need to start a new, um, a new skill or you're at a shop and you don't know what to do, just, um, being comfortable with talking to anyone. And, um, I think asking questions and, and finding out, what ticks them and, and what gets them going so that, so that you can help. Can you take us through your journey of um, not wanting to call the doctor by yourself <laughs> to now doing that essentially for a living? Like how did you get comfortable with having to make those calls? Yeah, it's um, it sucks. I, I, I suppose it, it, I don't know why that fear. I think a lot of people have that fear, don't we? It's just, um, oh God, what if I say something wrong? Um, but I did my training for this job in Denver. I was lucky enough to be flown out to um, the States to do it. It's obviously a US-based company. And the VP of Global Sales Development addressed the class on our first day. And someone asked her for her first piece of advice, her best advice for our new hire group. And she said, fail fast. And I swear I went white. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I don't fail. I can't fail. I'm so scared of failing. Um, I'm so scared of saying the wrong thing on the phone. And I think that almost gave me permission to break down um, that concept is you're going to have to fail and you're going to have to fail really quickly because that's the only way you can, um, you can learn quickly. And I think that that rides in tandem, you know, if you fail quickly, you're going to be better fast. Um, and, and for me, I think, you know, the premise of failing and, and being awkward on the phone or, um, or saying the wrong thing, you have to shatter that. And, and I had to shatter that. And it's, um, it's not something that, you know, you can hear, you can hear me say it, but, um, I think understanding that everyone is human, I'm going to talk to someone, you guys, I'm talking to you guys right now. I could say something wrong, but we're all human. And you know, that my brain's ticking over at the same time yours ticking over and, and the person on the other end of the phone or the person that you're calling or, or speaking to in person, even, um, knows exactly what you're going through and, and we're all just trying to work each other out. So I think, um, I think it was, it was, you have to give yourself permission to, to know that you're going to stuff up, um, and, and be okay with that embarrassment. <laughs> I, I think that's a really good point. And obviously that's applicable to people's careers. And when you get into industry or whatever industry that is, but we're also speaking to students at, in, you know, at VCE level and, and at university as well, but I think it's equally applicable. And what you're talking about there, just to clarify is to fail fast in 
the incremental little achievements that you're working towards the the big goal. So for you, that might be, you know, your monthly sales target or the yearly sales target or whatever. You don't want to fail at that, but on all of those little steps along the way, you can fail and then learn how you can better um, apply whatever skills you're doing. So in the context of someone say at school or at university, it's like you're you're working towards a really good ATAR score or or a SAC result or, um, you know, end of year results at uni you can fail fast in every week's um, worth of study. And it's like you test something else out in terms of, oh, I didn't do this last week. Let's try something else. Does this work better? If not, ditch it, move on to something else. Um, exactly. But it's not it's not getting ready to fail the, the ultimate goal. It's breaking it down into the little chunks and then being okay to fail at those little things. Exactly. And you're not, and that's the thing, if you're going to fail at those little things and you're going to make yourself way more, um, successful when you actually get to the big goal. If you're, if you're ready and, and you know what, if you do fail at those big goals, that's still okay. Um, but you've kind of, and that's the thing you're building up your shield. So if something does happen and it probably will, like it happens to me, bad things happen to all of us and we're going to eventually fail at something. And, and that's just going to be a learning. I probably call them shortcomings rather than failures, but um, I, I totally agree with that. And, and the more comfy you can be with being uncomfy um, in, in that failure realm is, is the best thing that you can do. Just to add on that, that failure point too, I think um, something that I used to all fail and I probably still, I still do is that when you're, when you're worried about making the wrong decision or doing the wrong thing, you lose brain power to thinking about that as opposed yeah. to just thinking about trying to like just get something done. And it's like, if you, if you like say you're working with someone you do, stuff up a little bit it's actually probably quicker and more efficient to stuff up and then have them tell you and you keep going rather than you like waste your brain power on (laughs) on thinking about that yeah exactly that's it and you know like I'll be on on sales calls and I have been in the past and you kind of come in guns blazing and you think you know everything that that they're going through you think you know their business pain and and they correct you and it's quite an awkward thing and you're like you know what I failed that, but at least I know now what you're actually going through so I can help. Like I, I thought I knew everything, but I didn't. Um, and I, that's a rare, <laughs> a rare occurrence for me, but, um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you there, Sarge. Now, Ailey, you don't have any, uh, kind of technical or former technical background in terms of data warehousing and whatnot. Do you want to talk a little bit to how you became comfortable to be able to sell, you know, this product that, that is Snowflake to, I'm guessing kind of the management people at, at your clients uh, or the clients of Snowflake and kind of the people that you rely on to, to help you do that. Totally. Um, it's an interesting one. I, I sell to uh, chief technology offices and database warehousing analysts and um, all sorts of technical people. And obviously I'm not um, in any way uh, of a technical background. Um, I can't even turn on my phone on a good day. So, um, <laughs> and, and being a, um, a manager, we don't hire as a, as a sales development representative, we don't hire people who have background in tech. I mean, it's a nice to have, but it's not a need to have. So, um, I think for me, it's, it's, um, you have to lean on people within the business. You're never going to know everything um, that that the whole entire job entails, but you've got people to lean on and to and to ask questions. And I think that's a big thing is um, to stay curious. It, it's it, it really took me quite a far away because 
I don't know enough about data warehousing to hold a conversation with the uh, chief technology officer of X company to know um, how data is ingested into his platform. But I do have sales engineers working at my company and I do have resources within the company and Snowflake does a really good job of that. They, um, they have, and, and, and most companies do, I, I do believe now online resources and current training and, um, and, and things and levers you can pull. And I have to say, YouTube and Google are my best friend. If I don't know what a data warehouse is, you can bet your bottom dollar that I'm going to Google it quickly before the call or, um, or they'll be on a call and they'll mention something like that, a tech that I have no idea that it is. You can just Google it. But I mean, um, that's just a cheat's way. I think it's, it's more about, um, being confident in your ability to, um, to understand people. Um, and with that, you'll be curious enough to, to find out the, the stuff that you need to know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got some notes from our previous call and you said your, your job is not so much to understand the technology that you're selling. It's to understand the needs of your customer and yeah. how you can use Snowflake's kind of platform or, or service offerings to help them fix a problem. Do you want to walk through, I guess, if you've got a process, what kind of questions you're asking to really understand say a new business that's come and they're a potential client? Like what are you trying to find out and how are you trying to empathize with them? And, and what, what does that process look like from your side? Yeah. And that, and that's really, it. it's, it's what can we do for you? You don't have to know, um, the, the language of data, but, um, I suppose the, the first kind of stuff we, things we say is, um, okay. In an ideal world, where, where would your data la- landscape be At the end of this conversation? If you could write the script for your perfect data ecosystem or environment in your company, what would it look like? And that is just a killer one because that tells me, um, what they don't have, what they do have, and um, and their goals. So we want to know where we can slot in, where we can complement what they currently have um, if we need to replace anything. So we're talking about technologies that kind of work in unison or um, Snowflake kind of being the, the technology, um, whether that replaces a current one or whether that um, complements what you've already got. And, and by asking that question, that kind of unleashes this, this monster of, okay, well, we have a lot of users trying to access this data, um, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's getting stopped or it's getting plugged and we, and we can't do that. We can't do it in real time. And we need to know this particular answer to this particular problem when it comes up, not in five hours, how long it takes to run, run that query, which we call is a question that you ask of the data. Um, and, and I think that's really the biggie. And, and obviously with that, there's like all these little, um, kind of explosions of questions that happen after that. So, okay. So how long does it take to run your data? How many people do you need to manage that data warehouse or, um, how many users do you have accessing the data and how much does that cost you? So all of those little things come, but my, my big one is what's the, what's the end result. And I think that, um, that's such a good, that's such a good question for anyone in sales, whether you're in data warehousing, whether you're in tech or, or, or genuinely, um, what car do you want to drive? So, um, so yeah, that's, that's my biggie. And I, I learned that from someone in the business and, um, it's taken me, um, a long way. It sounds like your questioning goes back to the, the old triangle of time, of time, cost and quality. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly that. That's <laughs> sales. Is it, um, a a great industry, but it doesn't really change too much. So <laughs> the line of questioning doesn't, um, doesn't change a lot. Ailey, you mentioned before that, uh, you're, 
you're not no expert in terms of data. You're not a data scientist or a technical person. And you spoke about how you lean a lot on your team to help you understand that and to be able to um, have good conversations with, with your clients. Where did you develop that that ability to team and, and what introduced you into being so um, open to, to team up with your team like that? I think um, it's a realization. I think I mentioned this before that you will never know everything. And I think if you start there, um, in my previous role, someone said to me, you know, I was um, looking for what's next, like what can I do next? And and she was just so ambitious. Um, You need to, you know, you think that you know everything about this job, but but you don't. And she wasn't being mean. She said, um, I mean, she was the general manager of the company and um, she said, I still have so much to learn. And I think the second you realize that is that you're never going to know everything and, and you have the gift of people around you who will cushion you. I mean, you're all the company, which means you're in a community and it's almost like a family and they don't want you to fail because they don't want the company to fail. And if the people fail, the company fail. So you have to cushion each other. And I think, um, one, if you, if you kind of cast your net and you say, I need help here, but you also give that back to people. So I'll help you quid pro quo. I'll help you if you help me. Um, I, I can do this for you. I can help you train. I can do practice cold call with calls with you. Um, but I do need your help in understanding the technical, um, aspect of this, or I need you to help me train the team to do this. So, um, I think it's a, um, a, a give and take relationship with, with the team, but it really starts with, you have to know that, you have to kind of reduce the size of your head. You're not going to know everything and, and that's totally okay. And there are people that, that will, and that's how companies work. They don't hire one person to do every job. They hire many people to do many different jobs. I think it's awesome that you bring it up because hundred percent agree with you in terms of that's how companies operate. Um, but I, I think some, something that people don't often appreciate is that you can take the same attitude to when you're studying at school or studying at university or studying wherever you are. It's like, you know, say you're sitting in a classroom of 28 people and you're studying for a, you know, fill in the blank sack. It's like, you're not going to know everything, but the person sitting next to you might know the stuff that you don't know and you know the stuff that they don't know. So it, it just kind of on reflection of when I think back to school, it, it's kind of baffling that you don't appreciate that when you're a student and the potential that you can get everyone else around you to kind of help you out be be better and you can all um, help each other out to be better. So I know that's a bit of a, of a, of a stretch in terms of a connection there, but um, really on reflection, I think people um, that are a little bit younger should, should really appreciate that and, and try and put it into practice. Absolutely. And, and, and a hundred percent, I agree with you. And I think that also ties into university. I believe probably one of my biggest mistakes when I was in university was being quite a solo operator. Um, and I think uh, a lot of us can fall into the trap. I didn't have many friends come from school my school um, into the degree that I was doing. Um, I think I had one. So um, I kind of became this kind of shell and I just wanted to be um, alone and I thought I could do it on my own and I did. But um, if you take that mentality, you don't have to be a solo operator. And I think in university, um, there's there's people who do, you know, um, gang together and, and make good friends and huge groups and stuff in those communities. Um, but I don't think it's as common. Um, and I think if if I could give one piece of advice for for uni the university um, specifically, it's to take that kind of school mentality and the teamwork mentality that um, everyone can help you out. Yeah, and I think not not to be too much of a nutcase about it, but you can kind of reverse engineer it, right? And it's like, well, how am I going to 
be able to answer questions of how did you work in a team or, or, you know, whatever, when you're in an interview and all you've kind of got in terms of experiences working behind the counter at a, at a takeaway place or whatever. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you just haven't had a lot of kind of life experience outside of what you've done at uni. And there, there's plenty of um, opportunity to proactively go and do some stuff that you'd be able to talk to in an interview as well. Absolutely. And that's what, um, that's so important is developing those interview skills before you even have any um, experience in a, in a career or a job. Well, all this chat on uni is probably a nice, a nice segue into it. You studied daily. So you're, you studied bachelor arts at Melbourne uni, just going back before that, was that something that you wanted to do when you're at school? Like what were you thinking about year 10, 11 type area? God, no, I was um, completely, I was left with question marks above my head um, as most people are. So um, I can relate there. I wanted to be an actress actually. And I did, I ducks theater studies. Um, I was the drama captain. I kind of had this, um, my name in lights um, kind of vision for a long time. And the second that it became something that it, that was um, a career or that it was, I was focusing on a career, it actually became less fun. So I kind of realized, look, acting is probably more of a hobby than anything. Um, and, and that's okay. I think that's, that's kind of one of those important um, moments that your job is not going to fulfill all of the little facets of, of who you are because humans naturally are multifaceted people. Mm -hmm. And, um, just because I I think the expectation uh, around, you know, what, what work was going to be like when I left was love your job and you'll never work a day in your life. And I hate that. And I know, I know that's um, an awful thing to say because that kind of led me down a dark path. I thought I had to love every day. So I didn't feel like I was working. I think it's a little bit unrealistic. It is. It totally is. And I think, you know, we're as young people, we're, we're kind of um, set to believe that. And, and that's so not true because we have a nine to five and we have a five to nine as well. And your job is just one part of that. And I am really strategic, but I'm also really creative and I love high adrenaline activities, but I can't find a job that, that actually encapsulates all of those. So you have to kind of look, I'm going to be in a desk job and that's okay, but I'm really creative. So I do pottery classes outside of school or whatever, or, um, or outside of work. So, um, I think that for me, that that expectation is, um, is something that again, you need to just squash. Um, and, and you'll make little, you'll make little kind of twists and turns. And I did marketing at the start. I did a bachelor of arts and majored in media and comms and criminology. So I wasn't really sure. And I, and I think, um, if you can cast your net wide, if you're not sure, then, then pieces fall into place because you'll learn from, um, from shortcomings and you'll learn from, um, little things that you don't like that doesn't sit so cozy with you. Well, to, to that, there's an element of, um, acting in sales too, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's no, um, maybe, maybe I'm joining two dots that don't exist, but I, th- I think that the two are somewhat similar. If, if you're really good at sales and I think people do tend to have the ability to act. Absolutely. I, um, I act every day. I, I make a joke <laughs> and say, um, I, I, um, I, know, I pretend I know what I'm doing all day, every day, but I, um, I don't, I actually should give myself more credit than that, but it's hundred percent true. And I think, um, acting again ha- was a really great, um, base level for, for my skills in communication and people work. Um, I think I can engage with people and I think that's what really isn't the most important thing in sales. Um, you know, of course it's nice to know the, the data and the tech, it's nice to know how to close a deal, but actually if you make a human connection with someone and they, and you have them as a champion in their business, 
they're going to push you forward regardless. If they want to do business with you, um, then, then you're kind of set up for success. And again, that comes back to acting. If you can get a connection with people on stage and your audience and they believe what you're saying, then you've won the lottery. And, and that kind of ties in really nicely with sales, I think. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And that, that touches on kind of every, every facet of life, I think, which is what you said before. We totally agree with. Um, do you want to kind of take us through what your journey from, you know, studying a Bachelor of Arts into working as a, as a BD manager at Snowflake um, was like and kind of how you got there? Because, you know, if you, if you write those two things down on paper, they don't quite uh, join in a <laughs> linear line. So why don't you walk us through that story? They do not know. Um, yeah, so obviously the, the, the cast and that wide approach really worked for me. Um, I, I still, I said, I left, um, school with question marks above my head. I probably left uni with question marks above my head. I did what um, most do and took a fair bit of time off, um, and went traveling, which was great. Came back. And it's funny. I, I don't actually have a golden ticket response for, um, for anyone listening, because I, I do owe a lot of my success and, um, to, to networking and the power of networking. But that isn't to say uh, hope, good luck and I hope you find someone who believes in you. Um, it's actually more a call to um, to connect with people. And, and you know, networking can can be done in so many ways. Networking is doing us doing this right now and um, someone added me on LinkedIn and just having a chat and that comes back to being really curious. Ask what people do. Ask if they know anyone in, in this industry. Can I have a coffee with you? Can I buy you a drink? Um, so, so for me, I went traveling, I came back and within a week I was standing at a festival and, um, talking to a friend and, uh, just said that I had no idea what I wanted to do. And the next week he gave me an interview at his job, which was, um, a ad tech marketing company. So, um, I guess I got really lucky, but that, that, um, it's, it's luck, but it's also your willingness to connect with people. As I said, um, I fumbled around a bit in marketing and I, I loved it. I was lucky enough to find a, a mentor within the company who went on maternity leave and, and actually offered to be my professional mentor beyond that. Um, and I think that was, that was my real break because what that mentor did was, uh, she saw something in me, which, um, which is really important for a mentor, but what's more important is for them to see something in you so much that they believe that others should see it and, and to pull that, um, through. And she was able to, you know, get me in front of clients and start talking to clients and start presenting to clients. And from there, I, I moved into an account management role. So you get promoted because people believe in you and, I think you need a platform. You need someone to give you a bit of a platform to stand on at the start. Did she, did she ever tell you what those things that she saw in you were? Um, she said to me in a one-on-one that I was uh, scarily ambitious. So I think um, <laughs> maybe, maybe a bad thing, but um, I think it's drive. Um, I think it's having high EQ. Um, I think, you know, I talk about IQ and, and it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, and, um, and that's an interesting comment for me. And I, I, I wouldn't have ever said that I'm the most smart person in the room. Um, but you know, my sister's super academic and she's a scientist and I, I was, I was always, you know, um, following in her footsteps, but what I did have was, um, incredibly high EQ. And I think if you can read the room and connect with people, God, you're so, you're so much better off. Um, you can, uh, again, it, it just ties back to that. You'll be invested in what they want to talk about and you'll learn just by the power of chatting. And if you can talk the ear off a scabby dog, I mean, I feel like that's <laughs> the best, 
um, the, the best kind of goal and, um, and thing you should do. Yeah. Oh, I think there's been so many people that have come on here and said that the, the best thing that they ever did was, you know, make a point of telling their friends as parents when they went over to their house, what they wanted to do and just talk to them about what they were doing in their life and talk to the person at the coffee shop and, and all of that kind of thing. So I, I think hearing what you're saying, there seems to be a need for people to do a bit of, I guess, self-reflection on themselves when they're younger. And it's like, you know, you might be okay at maths or you might be okay at English, or whatever, like that, that side of things is important, but also do a reflection on what are your skills outside of the academic sphere that you can really capitalize on and, and grow and get better at. And if you can realize early that you're, you can talk to <laughs> talk the ear, ear off a scabby dog. Um, not everyone has that. And is that so, a phrase? I just made that up. I don't know. I'm, I've written Ooh, it down, so we're going to go for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you if you can realize earlier that you're good at X, Y, or Z, um, and you can realize that not everyone else is as good as you at that, um, you can really think laterally and be like, okay, what areas can I go into? And sales is obviously one of them. Yeah, abs- and that's the, that's the ticket. It's what can I do that everyone else can't? Because you don't know when you're you, you're sitting there and you're stuck and you don't actually know that that skill that you have is actually quite unique. And it, it does take a bit of time. And sometimes it takes a push. It sometimes it takes someone to tell you, and, and you, you, you are welcome to go and ask people, what do you think that what, if you could describe me in three words, what would it be? And for me, you know, I ask people and, and people say, you know, you you chat a lot, like you're really talkative or you're bubbly. And if, you know, those little personality traits actually all link into, okay, I'm really good with people because if, if someone that I don't really know that well says to me, I'm bubbly, that means that I'm, I can talk to them. And that's something that, that, you know, my housemate wouldn't say, or, you know, um, that's, that, that's what makes you unique. So yes, we can be good at, um, at maths or science or drama or whatever it might be, but, um, find those tiny little things that, that make you, you. Um, and, and those will take you far to, to, um, to wherever you want to go within your career. Just to go full circle, I think that links in nicely with what you were chatting about before in terms of teaming. Like it's all well and good to, for someone to be technical, but if you're technical and you can't get along with anyone or get anyone along for the ride in terms of like selling yourself, selling an idea, working in a team, then your technical skill is not, useless is too strong a word, but it's, it's not, it's not you being used to the full extent because you can't connect it with anyone else. Exactly. And again, you know, like if you're not, if you're not a really talkative person, my sister's not. And, um, if you're not because like, you spoke so much at home, yeah, she didn't get a word in. No one did. <laughs> my whole family don't talk. I don't know why. Um, but if you're not really like that, if you're not outgoing or bubbly or an extrovert, that's okay. And I think that again, comes into the team. There's going to be someone in your team who is. So if you're, I mean, a, a data analyst, or if you're a sales engineer and you're not that good at selling, tell the salesperson to, to tell them this or, um, or cushion them so that they can do it. So we all win as a team. I love it. Um, let's move forward a bit in terms of, okay, you've landed at Snowflake, um, in, in your role now, and you've obviously kind of moved up the ladder a bit there. Do you want to talk a bit about the growing role of women in tech? And we, we've spoken a little bit about it with, um, some people who are kind of on the data science side and they've got the technical ability, but I think you will have an interesting perspective on it from the sales lens. And I think it's important to open up the context of, Hey, if you're a young woman and you want to get into tech, like sales is an opportunity. Um, there's all these different kind of aspects of working in that industry that you can, um, go down. So do you want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah, totally. And, um, 
it's interesting, you know, we talk about women in tech and actually tech is just becoming um, ever present. I don't think there's um, a single company that doesn't rely on technology. So being being technology, being in technology is actually um, everyone. We, we all work with tech and um, it's only going to grow further. Um, but the women in tech aspect is, is a funny one for me. I When I was joining Snowflake, I kind of looked at my dad who's been in IT for, you know, 30 years and I said um should I do this I'm, I'm not really technical I don't know I don't know what what I'm doing and he said you'll be you'll be great you will be um you're also a woman in tech which is super rare and you know listen to him that's fine and, and then as I spoke to other people I got other people's comments about that every single person they spoke to said well you're a woman in tech and and you should you'll be successful because there's not a lot of women in tech and for me that is I, I would I would hope that in the next you know ten years that anyone who asks someone any woman who asks someone that says should I go into tech and they say you're a woman in tech I hope that no one has to say that because it shouldn't be it, it's fantastic and I think you know it's it's an opportunity to um, you know women being in tech and and there's so many communities online about that um, which I think are really important but I think they're really important for every gender to um, to you know involve themselves in and and look into because um, it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be separate and I shouldn't be successful because I'm a woman in tech and I would hope that you know girls listening to this now when they ask if they want to go into tech um, someone says you're not going to be successful because you're a woman in tech because you're rare you're going to be successful because you're going to be good at that job. So um, the women in tech thing is, is such an interesting one and it's a huge thing right now. And, and I watch a lot of communities, but I um, implore um, all genders to go in um, and, and have a look at, at what's going on because it's more than just we are women in tech and we are special because we're women. We're actually damn good at, at doing our job and we're damn good at being in tech and that shouldn't matter if, um, if we're women or not. So, um, it's, it's fantastic. And Snowflake is, um, incredibly diverse in that regard. Um, I'm very lucky to be, we have a, um, a, a community at Snowflake, obviously there's, um, there's girls in sales ish and, and all those <laughs> things that crop up. But, um, I think Snowflake, you know, hires the right people for the right job. And, and that's, what's, what's really important to me, but, um, super inclusive. I work on a team that's probably 50, 50, um, male and female. And so I wouldn't even notice that I was just a woman in tech. I'm just, I'm, I'm an employee at a tech company. <laughs> I think I completely agree with you. I think it should be a meritocracy more than anything else. And whoever, whoever is the right person for the job should just get a job. And if you're good at what you do, it doesn't matter what your gender is or what, um, culture you're from like that. Yeah, it yeah. should be secondary. Yeah, absolutely. And on that, uh, you mentioned before that you have a great mentor. How did how did that come about? And and have you do you have any other mentors too that you you lean on? Yeah, so um, my mentor, um, she she was in, within my company, um, and I think you know you can mentors can can have different forms. Um, my dad would be my mentor. He um, is I, I idolize the guy, um, but my my particular mentor, um, she was within my my previous company. She was actually my manager, and I think um, as I said, you know, she saw something in me that um, not that no one else saw, but she saw something and was willing to fight for for me. Um, and I think that is, is super important to have. 
Um, unfortunately, very tragically, my mentor died in a car crash last year. Um, so I'm yet to replace her. Um, but I think, um, you know, that doesn't mean that I, I will never have another mentor and it doesn't mean that I don't have a professional mentor that I look up to. Um, you know, there's, there's people that fill different buckets. There's, um, women who, um, who obviously as a woman will, um, will kind of guide you and, and show you, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, unfortunately, you know, you'll, you'll have it harder here and you won't have it harder here, but there's also, you know, um, relatives and family members that, um, everyone who, um, who has done something in their life can be your mentor and, and, and they all have experiences that you can learn off. And that comes back to sitting and talking to people. You'll, you'll, you'll almost create mentors just by talking to people. The guy at the coffee shop who started the coffee shop, the learnings that he had from starting the coffee shop, like that's a scary thing. Um, you can create mentors from anyone. You don't have to sit back and wait for the right person to come along. That, that's really important. I think I was really daunted by the fact that everyone seemed to have a professional mentor and, um, and, and someone to help guide them. And no one's asked me yet. No. And, and you can, you can get yourself in a bit of a tears because you're worried that you haven't found the right person, but actually every single person that you'll invest time into talking to and learning something from can become your mentor. Not to get too morbid, but I think if you can find, if you if you've come across someone you're like, I really rate how you operate, or you've done some fantastic things that I want to emulate, it's like go and approach them and tell them that, and then maybe they'll become your mentor because you know not not to be too cliche, and I'm sorry to hear about your mentor passing away last year, but you know that person might not be there in six months' time. They might have moved overseas or whatever it might be, and you might not yeah. get that opportunity again. So if you meet someone that you're like, I want to maybe be you in ten years' time go and approach them, go and ask them to, to get a coffee or tell them yeah. to buy them a drink or whatever it might be. And you can start with that line. I love that. I want to be you when I grow up. How cool is that? And I don't think anyone on this planet, I was talking the other day to someone, I said, the best compliment you can get is if someone says, I want my son to turn out like you. I want my daughter to be like you, or I want to be you. Um, we all want to be that person because we all want to be um, someone that someone looks up to. So I absolutely agree with that. I, I don't think you should waste any time. Um, as I said, you know, life is super precious. And um, I, I learned so much from my mentor in, in such a short time. And, you know, even to this day, the, the moves that I make in my career and the things that I do, um, I, I think back to things that she told me to do. So, um, it, it can be, um, for a minute, a conversation you have for a minute that those things will, will carry through and, um, and kind of take you throughout your job and your career. On the, on the topic of advice, Ailey, what are some of the things that you've learned over your, your time? Um, maybe particularly focusing on any, any failures you might've had that you've learned from? Yeah, I think, um, you know, failures, uh, failures is a funny one. I, I will call them shortcomings. Very, very, very <laughs> um, salesy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and of them, there are many. Um, I mean, from, you know, sending the wrong email or, um, or calling the wrong person, having no idea what to say. Um, those are little things that um, obviously that happen pretty much every day. So, um, again, I've had to be comfy with, with failing. But I think um, the, the thing that I'm still working on and, um, and something that I will continue to improve on is my um, unfortunate uh, tendency to overthink. And that is a failure. I, I, would, I would see that as a failure or a shortcoming um, because... It, 
you'll stop yourself from doing from doing something that um, is within your gut. I don't trust my gut enough. Um, it's actually, you know, the second brain. There's more neurons in your gut than there are in your brain. Um, I know that from my sister who's a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think overthinking is my biggest failure and it will continue to be so, so long as I do it. Um, it almost stopped me from land, from getting this job in Snowflake because I didn't think I wanted to be in tech. I wasn't sure if I was um, the right breed of person to be in sales. I know everyone says um, sales is a specific breed of people, um, but they're not. We're not <laughs> all monsters. I think it's just been given a bad word. But um, I think, you know, I overthought that. I thought I couldn't do it. Um, I didn't trust myself. And I actually gave up. I said no to the job twice before I actually um, landed it. Luckily, um, my manager, the guy who pulled me over, um, was a legend about the job for me and, and believed in me. But um, but that would be it, overthinking. It it will literally be the death of, of so many bright moments in your life um, and and will stop you from doing, you know, what you actually want to do. I couldn't agree more. And I can't exactly remember who said this. It might've been Tim Ferriss or someone, but he, like when he was quantifying or trying to explain how you think about thinking too much, it's, I think the first thing should be if you're trying to, or if you're considering doing something, it's like, if I, if it doesn't work out, am I going to be in a worse place than when I started? And yeah. if, if the case is, okay, you're just going to get back to where you started. It's like, well, what's the, what's the worst thing you, you found out that something doesn't work and that that's kind of a, that's kind of a positive. So that's something I've tried to implement because I certainly, have, uh, you know, struggle with overthinking things as well. Yeah. Um, Ailey, just to finish up on just some maybe advice for people that maybe want to get into sales or after hearing this conversation, want to get better at selling something or particularly themselves, what are some things that they could be doing to, to work on that and, and better those skills? Yeah. Um, it's a funny one. I, I don't think, um, the, the words when I grow up, I want to be in sales comes up that often, but we actually, um, at my company, we got a book written by, um, a sales guru in the States that actually was entitled when I grew up, I want to be in sales. And I think, um, look, sales is, uh, as I said, it's been given a bad rap. It's not a, um, a dirty word. It's, um, it's actually, the skills that you're learning in sales, as we talked about today, um, are lifelong skills. Um, for me, you know, there's a huge community of um, people on LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn nut. Feel free to add me, uh, or I'll add you guys. <laughs> um, I, and and there's a huge community of sales, um, you know, superstars on um, from the states predominantly um, because they they're, they're big on sales over there. Um, Morgan Ingram, John Barrows, um, to name a few, Beck Holland, um, which we can, I'm sure the, the boys can put in their show note. Um, so, so I think, um, as well, you know, for me, uh, it's a really good time to, um, to kind of, if you are wanting to get into sales, um, obviously we can, you know, have a, have a cry about COVID and, um, and all the negatives that's, that's come from it. But, um, what it has done is given us the gift of time. And you have so much time to um, better yourselves and upskill. And there's never been a better time to, you know, um, to allow yourself to, to learn new things. And, um, you know, there's incredible um, courses. I mean, I think Harvard is doing micro courses on, on higher education that you can, you can do all these things. And, and that's what's really important, isn't it? It's, um, 
you know, upskilling in things that you don't even need to know, you know, if you want to be in sales and, and you want to start masterclasses in cooking, then go for that because businesses are not looking for one trick ponies anymore. They're looking for, um, for people who know a, a range of skills and, you know, maybe that's not cooking in sales, but <laughs> it might be, your manager might be um, a cooking aficionado. Um, but I think right now it's a great time to capitalize on, on all of the stuff that's come from COVID because there's masterclasses online. Um, you can do micro courses, you can go and and say, you've done a course at Harvard over COVID. Like that's never before seen. I mean, I hate to use the word unprecedented, but it is. And, um, and, and that's a fantastic way. And, and I, obviously I, I gave a plug to YouTube and Google before, but there's nothing you can't learn on on YouTube. There is absolutely nothing. Um, so, so take the time and, and just, um, indulge yourself in an hour a day of, of kind of upskilling. If you don't know something, Google it. If you don't know how to talk about something, if you don't know how to sell, um, stalk people on LinkedIn, see what they're saying. Everyone's doing videos, everyone's home and, and has time to kind of, um, address you guys as, um, as, you know, young people who are, who are ready to take on their lives and start shaping their career. Um, and, and they're willing to help. So, um, that's my best advice is use this time as a gift and, um, and do as much as you can to, um, immerse yourself in a world of knowledge. Uh, I think that's awesome advice. And I, cu- I couldn't agree more with the gift point. I think one of the gifts for, for Luke and I has been the ability to, to focus on, doing this podcast with Annie and it's been awesome. And but for COVID, it, we probably wouldn't have kicked off because we would have just been a little bit hard with timing and everything. So yeah. couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's interesting. I saw something the other day that said, um, you know, without COVID, you wouldn't be this version of yourself right now. And um, I think, you know, there's obviously parts of me that I would probably um, prefer that I wasn't because of COVID. Um, I'm eating the entire fridge every day. But um, I've also learned a lot about myself with, with all this spare time and I've learned how to operate um, at home and work from home and pivot on a dime. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's super important. And I think we need to um, probably focus a bit more on the positives that we've had. I think it's awesome. And definitely I think the thing that I've taken out of that is just focus on the positive things you can take out of what might, might be a, a poor situation and you can always find something or an opportunity that you can better yourself or put yourself in a better position than you were um, yesterday. So um, I think that's, that's awesome. And, and thanks very much for coming on the show today, Ellie. We really appreciate the time and, and giving a perspective on what it's like to be a, a person in tech um, working <laughs> in a sales role particularly. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Good to chat. I will see everyone listening on LinkedIn, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a profession you would like to know more about, a question you would like us to ask, or a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us on the social channels at either the Young Professionals Podcast, TYPPAU, or our personal profiles. We'd love to hear from you.